0: This This is is Yawa Yawa Radio. Radio. One welcome to the Yawa Radio podcast. The Yawa Radio podcast is an opportunity again to listen to one of our inspirational, thought-provoking interviews that we have brought to the listeners of Yawa Radio. Yawa Radio is online 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We are your well-being and happiness radio station, bringing the feel-good feeling to every single day of the week. Check us out at yawaradio.co.uk. Now sit back and enjoy this podcast from the Yawa Radio team.
1: Welcome to The Silenced here on Yawa Radio with me, Emma-Jane Taylor. The Silenced is a chat show focused only on child sex abuse and the difficulties around this conversation with voices from all around the world. The purpose of each show is to share uncomfortable conversations that many would prefer not to hear of and to bring out from under the rug the difficulties that many are facing. These conversations are uncomfortable for so many reasons, but more importantly, the secrets should never be the child's. And this is something that I am keen to share in my hope that we can support the millions struggling in silence. Joining me today on my panel is my resident poet, Michael Borton, my resident child sex abuse activist, Chris Tuck, and new for us and someone I'm thrilled to introduce you to is my resident therapist, Denny Corby. My panel bring their expertise, their passion and enthusiasm to a conversation that needs a lot of love. Every show, we encourage more conversation around these subjects to help remove the stigmas, the taboos, and to make this uncomfortable conversation much more comfortable. Okay, so let's go on. Without further ado, let me introduce you to my panel, Dr. Sophie Kinghill and Ian Ackley. Okay, so Sophie, uh, thank you for being with us today. Um, Let's just hear a little bit about your background, because you're an ally as such, really, aren't you, on this conversation? Um, So let's just hear about you and what made you want to come into this conversation.
2: Yeah, so I'm, I'm currently I'm an academic at the University of Birmingham and much of my research centres around sexual behaviours in children and young people, harmful sexual behaviours, sibling sexual abuse and how we go about assessing them and really how research can aid us in the support that we give to young people that find themselves in these positions. In terms of how I came to, to study this topic, I worked for many years with teenage parents and and under 19 ex-offenders, and they were really, really rewarding roles that I had. And from this, I I realised there was a lot lacking in terms of education and support for children and young people um, in relation to relationships and sex education, which also linked to how they viewed sex and the shame around sex and how we don't discuss it enough. From there, I went to work in sexual health, And I taught sex sex and relationships education in schools. I then was a national impact coordinator for a leading sexual health charity, where I specialised and really looked at sexual behaviours of children and young people and how we assess those. And from then, I went into academia so that I could further the research and make more of an impact Uh, in terms of the work that I do. I do miss working with children and young people directly, but, you know, we we can, as researchers, make more of a a ripple in the ponds, if you like
1: actually you just got me thinking i was working with some teenagers this week and uh, it was such a complex conversation one of them said um you know we were talking about early sexualization and they felt that at their at their school and at their age and in their peers they feel that they're massively over sexualized as young people which i thought was a really interesting conversation and they were talking about social media and the impact that that's had on them and then in the next conversation they said But we don't think that there should be any consent ages for sexual abuse. Uh, Sorry, for for sex, physical relationships. I said, oh, what? So you don't think the 16 and these children were saying no? And I thought, you know, just you saying there that you work with the behaviours of young people on this conversation. It's so conflicting, Sophie. So conflicting. These kids are being you know, thrown lots of conversation that I guess, you know, I'm 49 now. So when I was uh, through my school years in my 70s, 80s, we just didn't have this social media and the, the conversations that we have now. And they are having all of that. They don't like it, but they don't think that there's a problem having sex early. I mean, how do you handle that?
2: Yeah, I think that's it. I think that that's right what you're saying in terms of there's a huge complexity in terms of the sexual behaviours of children and young people. I think a lot of this stems from how we view sex within society and how young people can talk about sex. But then also you've got the additional layer now of social media, which is highly sexualized, and yet there is there's a distinct lack of safe spaces um in, in safe places for, for children and young people to have these discussions. Another um contributing factor to this is that children um That are going through adolescence see themselves within the adult domain however adults see children see adolescents as firmly in the children childhood domain so there's a huge conflict there about sex and sexuality and how we're supporting children and young people they go to a lot of um sources on the internet to get information when the research suggests that young people want information from robust and trusted sources and that links to you know the discussion around child um, sexual abuse you know we're not creating these safe spaces to explore what's what's okay and what's not okay um, googling something can be highly detrimental in terms of trying to get any kind of information for a child or young person and then if you're coming on to the age of consent again that's a hugely complex area Um, because if you've got two people that are consenting age 15 and 16, it's very, very different to somebody who's 15 and somebody who's 42, for example. So, again, there's a huge, and I think, I wonder if that's the the point that they were trying to make, that it's a lot more nuanced and a lot more complex than a a cut-off age of 16, and there's a lot more to it that we need to be exploring with children and young people in a participatory approach rather than, you know, as you say, imposing our views on them, because I'm 42 now, you know, it's a completely different world. Um, but we need to be listening to to young people. I'm a strong advocate of that.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, so I said to the these these kids, I said, so what, you think that children as young as 9, 10, 11, 12 should be having sex? And they said, no, no maybe not that. I said, well, of course, that's where the boundaries and the lines get really, really blurred. Um, and I think, you know, That you know, you talk about the robust and trusted sources, and I think it's so complex now. It's like this big pot of confusion. So many people are saying so many things. You know, I personally I have a real issue with the early sexualization um, of young people, and the stuff that we've seen recently in the media, from the family sex show to books and uh, some of the activities that have been going on. I struggle with that because I just think, you know, we, we really shouldn't be throwing that down young people's, uh, into young people's heads and thoughts, um, because the pressure is immense for all children to want to know what's going on. Um, and I guess, you know, it feels like it's constantly a muddle. But uh, look, Sophie, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you very much. Okay, Denny, I'm going to come to you. Uh, our shiny new therapist, uh it's great to have you with us today on this conversation um let's just hear a bit about you because I'd like you to do sort of a little bit of an introduction really Denny and then I kind of you know let's just continue a little bit this conversation I've just been having with Sophie
3: yeah sure hi thanks for having me it's really good to be here um so I'm Denny um I'm a survivor of child sexual abuse um I'm also somebody who was heavily involved in elite sport I was a junior ranked athlete, and so was around that whole environment where there's close proximity, there's a lot of trust, power and influence. Um, And I experienced at the time something that I wasn't really aware of that I now with all the knowledge and everything that I've learned, look back and, and now would regard some elements of what happened to me as as sexual abuse within that environment too. Um, I qualified as a therapist eight years ago, and then through my own journey became quite unwell whilst I was unpicking my experience of child sexual abuse. So I have returned to therapy just recently. So I I do regard myself as quite a newbie. Um, So I'm here to impart what, what I've experienced, what I know about How the brain develops and how therapy can help um, people who have um, found the courage to speak up. I'm also here to learn. So, thank you for asking me along.
1: It's great to have you, Denny. Now, talking about brain development and actually following on from what Sophie said, you know, the complexities of children on the conversation of sex. You know, we know that children's brains don't develop until they're around 25. So, you know, we're asking uh we we, you know we've got children saying yeah we're being over sexualized yes let's have sex whenever but you know knowing what we know and what we've experienced as well as survivors is that you know we know the brain hasn't sort of developed till 19 to 25 fully developed then so is it too much to sort of encourage children to have more of a say on this or should you or do you think and i guess this is a big wide open question do you think that you know The continued education on helping children through this difficult time of their development, especially now that we've got social media. And I say that because, you know, when I was at school, I learned about computers and I went on to work on a computer. No one's teaching children to use social media technology in that respect. So we've got this massive, massive playing field now where kids are very vulnerable. Um, But they're not seeing it. So I guess my question is, you know, we know children aren't fully developed until late teens, early 20s with their brain development. Um, Yet there are children out there thinking that they know right. And that's what it should be. What are your thoughts on all of this?
3: Gosh, that's a huge question, isn't it? Um, Look, I worked for the youth offending team for nine years and became an aim assessor, which was an assessment around young people who were exhibiting sexually harmful behaviour. What I know is that if we isolate those young people, the problem um, increases. That sense of isolation being very different to their peers will only increase what may already be going on, which is a very skewed perception of what sex is. I now, as you know, work within schools and speak to many young people on this. And it's my belief that yes, a brain is not able to take in from social media and everything that young people are googling and be able to sit with the two things that are needed for a healthy relationship and that's the mechanics of sex and the safety of sex but also the emotional um, understanding of what a sexual relationship can be and I think that's what's missing at the moment is that we've got many young people who believe that they are quite capable and ready to go into a physical sexual relationship with absolutely little understanding of the emotions that lie behind that so it's a massive question Emma-Jane but that's that's my brief thoughts on that
1: yeah so complex so complex so um, just before I introduce you to my next guest Sophie I'm going to come back to you you know that conversation just on its own is I mean you know I'm sure we could probably take up all of the rest of the next few days talking about it Um, but just sort of your thoughts on that on the brain development on the fact that you know the the complexities of the the children I speaking to the children you're working with what do we do with this?
2: I think really what we've got to and I mean I'm a huge advocate of this Uh, we've got to be educating them from a really young age um, in a kind of spiral way so you build the foundations and you build upon that to create that safe space for them because you know we're we're living in a really kind of media savvy world at the moment for children and young people and the information that they're getting is constant it's this constant flow Mm. of information and you know there's there's very little that they can do to control that Mm. unless they're they're aware and you know my suspicion is that there's a lot of sexual behaviors that have moved online due to covid and also the movement you know move forward in terms of um social media and how rapidly you know that's expanding you know my suspicion is there's a lot of healthy sexual behaviours that have moved online and what we're doing is condemning all online sexual behaviours between children and young people which then shuts down the dialogue and I think that's what we've got to keep open are the lines of communication because as soon as we attach shame to something people shut down and they won't ask questions and they won't put themselves in a position where they can ask for help.
1: Yeah, and actually uh, recently came to my attention a 12-year-old girl um, who was introduced, was given Snapchat. Um, and I have, a, again, another show on itself. I have, I have a problem with Snapchat and, um, and the online presence of paedophiles around that con- uh, conversation. And uh, she, she buddied up with some girl who was, just became her best friend. And um and then within a few weeks, suddenly this best new best for shiny friend got really sinister um and scared her. And then because they'd gained so much information, this young girl, this this new best friend turned out to be an you know 50-year-old guy who was who demanded she send pictures of her chest and her butt and all this stuff. And she did. And so, you know, whilst I think it is good to keep the open lines of communication, I I feel more and more and more that we need to be educating children on snapchat instagram twitter i mean t- twitter sometimes just drives me crazy when i see some of the um, blue there's a blue tick i won't even mention his name but there's a blue tick uh, guy out there at the moment influencer on the on his pinned to his page is his uh, video of his girlfriend giving him a blowjob and that's an influencer And I can't get it removed. I'm sure there's millions of others of me trying to get it removed. And you're just like, why is that allowed? I mean, I can't even post on Facebook sometimes. They're like, oh, your content. I'm like, but, but I'm advocating and trying to help people. Yeah, you've got Twitter allowing content like that. I just, it's so imbalanced, Sophie. But like I say, that's. I mean, the conversations we could go on and on and on. Uh, and already we're fifteen minutes into today's show. So, uh, Ian Ackley is my next guest today, and uh, Ian obviously um, has his own story, which I'm going to let him do a little bit of an introduction to him and and the horrors that he went through as a as a young boy in the football world. So, welcome to the t- t- today's show, Ian.
4: Hi. Uh, thanks for inviting me on. Um, yeah, I, I'm a survivor of, of, of sexual abuse within football. Um, as a junior footballer, I, as everybody starts in grassroots, local club, and then very quickly at the age of, sort of eight years of age, uh, was playing at Sheffield United and then Manchester City, Manchester United, and then Rochdale. So quite a, a, an elite level of, of sport. But I, I walked away from the sport because of the abusive nature. Uh, and what might sometimes be seen as banter uh, in football uh, and the whole uh, elite competitive element of football and sport with my experiences previously in sport just meant I decided it just wasn't for me. So I walked away from it. Um, But it it left it uh, an indelible mark, really, uh, which, which... um, is still very pronounced even today. I'm 53 years of age, um, you know, and I often say that um, when I, I suffered abuse from sort of the age of 10 to 13, and it was about three three or four years worth of habitual, regular abuse, um, that I became a member of, of probably the one of the worst private members club in the world that you you, you wanted to be a member of and that once you got that membership card you really couldn't give it away it was a life membership and and that was something that I uh, have used to try and um focus on uh the fact that my experiences left like I say a real heavy mark on me in life but actually for that not to uh, shape me uh I, I, more so for me to look at that uh to be able to use it in a positive way going forwards because i was determined that no matter what happened that uh, I, I i wouldn't i maybe not down but i would get back up uh and i would keep walking forwards and, and with that vein over the last 30 years almost um i've been trying to campaign in one way or another for an advocate for survivors survivors rights Um, And and currently, I'm an advocate. I'm fortunate to be paid uh, as an advocate, and in part because I've got a lived experience um, for guys and women, anybody coming forward, whether it's players and officials. uh, I have the privilege of delivering a service uh, from the very grassroots level right up to elite and international football Uh, I I deliver support and advocacy services for those guys that have suffered any form of abuse in football. And I do consider it a privilege and an honour to be able to support uh, the very brave people that come forward. And um, I just want to say quickly as well on that point of conversation, just linking the two things together. I often have conversations with clients and uh, survivors. Uh, and parents who so are now often those survivors are parents and we talk and other professionals and we talk about the difference between the adult responsibility and the child reporting and the ability to do so and how we break down that cycle and one of the things I often say to people is and I'm a parent and I'm guilty of this so when I've talked to my children and I don't know if you are a parent but Often I've said, "Just hang on, Daddy's just a little bit too busy." Mummy, Daddy's just talking to Mummy, so on and so forth. And on a daily basis, we tell cho- children from a small age that actually the adult conversations are more important than the child's daily life. So I'm puzzled as to why we're surprised as adults. That children don't come and talk to us about the most difficult of subjects when we reinforce on a daily basis as parents that we're more important than their conversations. So, stripping that whole thing back, I think it's really important to take every child as an individual child and accept there's no one size fits all for any of this. And actually, if we take the time out of our, and we are busy. Everyone's busy. Everyone's getting on with life, you know. And, but if we can take the time out at a very young age to start having those ordinary conversations and showing children that actually what their favourite colour is is really important. The fact that that crisp packet blew across the floor and made them giggle is important. And we, and we actually place a real value in children. Then I truly believe that we will foster the more difficult conversations later on in life as they understand them and will give a better landscape. For Mm. children growing up to have the notion of these safer spaces, having the difficult conversations with trusted adults, because the children of today are the adults of tomorrow. So to break down the cycle, notwithstanding it takes an average of over 20 years for people to come forward. I think it's a really important thing the way that we educate and raise awareness with children. And that's just something that's come out of my uh, experience and observations of the work that I do. And apologies, I, I, I digress, but I guess it was an important point to make.
1: So I'm going to just introduce now uh, two other panel members. So I've got Chris Tuck, who is our resident child sex abuse activist. She's had her hand up uh, to talk. So uh, I, let's bring in Chris now. Welcome to today's show, Chris
5: hi everyone thank you um interesting conversation all the way right from the beginning so thank you going back to children and young people we've also got to recognise just because they may not be emotionally fully adept at handling a relationship back when they're teenage in their teenage years they've got these hormones going around their body and creating a lot of disturbance for themselves and they need to be able to have education around their hormones and and what is going on for them from a peer pressure point of view as well. Because we obviously know that being teenagers ourselves, a lot of that is going on. And if we struggle to understand what's going on for us as individuals and as um, a peer pressure group, then there's nowhere to go with all of that. So we need to actually understand that point of view as well so I just wanted to drop that into the mix also you know peer pressure um, social media what goes on outside of schools sharing of images um, the teenager might feel that they're in a loving relationship and their boundaries are being respected and anything that they do send in the context of that loving relationship um, is being respected but obviously we know that in many cases it's not and it gets passed on so there's um, a storyline on a well-known soap at the moment that is showing that in its context and the consequences of all of that Um, and I think um, young people need to have these conversations with adults to explore the consequences of what could go wrong Also, um, as adults, um, you were talking earlier, Denny, and Ian shared about the abuse that's gone on in sports. Um, That adult has a power and trust and influence dynamic over that young person. And, you know, they've got that young person's ear. They tell that young person in their care what they want them to hear, the narrative that they want to tell them. And that young person, if they don't have the other side of that, if they don't have the education and the awareness of what an appropriate or what a, a, a good relationship, what a, um, an appropriate relationship looks like, Then they've got the ear of the person that is literally got their career in their hand, um, their opportunities in their hand. And that is where the um, the abuse can happen. The situation is there for the perpetrator to come along and actually take um, take control of that relationship. And abuse may happen and it does happen. And going back to Ian's point just a moment ago about taking um, time out to actually listen to our children. So I'm a parent myself, and I uh, my children are now 25 and 19. Um, but I used to have time out conversations. So when I was too busy, I used to then make time for my children, and it was their time for them to tell me or have conversations around these kinds of topics so I made time for that to happen because of what because of what I experienced myself Mm. so that's what I wanted to say at this moment in time
1: I think it's really important and I'm going to just take a quick break and then we're going to come back and meet Michael Borton but what you just said listening to children and letting children be children personally for me that is one of the most important things and we're we're not children like they're in this it feels like they're on a train track rattling down super fast to become an adult and they're not doing any of things like Ian was saying you know looking at the crisp packet looking at the colors looking at that so you know for me being a parent is you know is is really important for these children and hopefully something that you know Uh, again a different show and another show all, all on its own because that's such a big conversation but stripping back to basics that's the kind of thing i'd like to see more of okay don't go anywhere we're going to take a short break we're going to be back very soon
5: with inspirational guests from across the world this is
0: yawa radio
1: okay welcome back to the show Wow Michael Borton what a show it is already 25 minutes in and um, today is obviously all about sports so after all the introductions and and the conversations um, we will move more onto the subject but just listening to what you've listened to already as an ally uh, as is Sophie you know what are your thoughts?
6: Uh, Very interesting. And it's lovely to be on the show, as always, uh, with a subject that, dare I say, is fascinating because it is fascinating, however awful it is. I think there's a couple of things that have resonated from both Sophie, Dr. Sophie, and also from Ian. Um, Ian made a, a little comment there, which is, it's an indelible mark on you. It never, ever goes away. And that's something that's clear. But it's then what you've done since then, Ian, and I, and I almost ask the rhetorical question, it's not meant in a way, if it hadn't happened to you, I wonder where you would have gone, wonder what direction things you could have done, because you've demonstrated unbelievable direction in terms of the support you now have given over the last many, many years. And I think that's from, a, from an ally perspective, I think that's the challenge, that we need people that don't go through this to be advocates to do this as you do Sophie uh, to provide that support because it's such a huge responsibility to be someone and everyone bar perhaps me and Sophie in the room have gone through something beyond comprehension most of the time and yet come out of that with a positive there are just as many and many more who haven't had that opportunity and don't Mm.
0: Um,
6: and it's a it's a travesty of life that mm. the indelible mark is there and some are able to pick it up and recover and they shouldn't need to but life is just not fair.
1: And you know and, and importantly what we're, what we want to really achieve on this show is that you can survive. you know the silence isn't yours. It, you know you were a child, you did nothing wrong and as an adult, we want you to remember how important and um, you are to your own world and also you know if you feel comfortable once you've gone through any of your own therapy and support systems that you can become an advocate too and join the voice join the incredibly strong people that we see all around the world on these conversations to help us move this forward okay so look today is about sport and we have touched on it um denny you know you and i have spoken about this before you know as, as i know you are a sports person you know As someone who's trying to achieve in life as a sports person um, and you want to go and get that gold medal and achieve great things as a child, any opportunity given to you, you'll take. Um, So because you don't have the conversation that you have now or the narrative that you have now, it's about um, doing what you can to be the best you can in the environment you can, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, Emma-Jane. And and
3: look, as young people, we all, we all seek affirmation from somewhere. That gives us our sense of belonging, our sense of self-pride and self-worth. And when that comes from sport, um, it can actually be quite an addictive cycle. You know, everything, the change in your body when you're doing sport and the affirmation that you're getting absolutely is something that you want to continue with. And let's just remember that when the abuse comes from... A coach, a physiotherapist. It's not just the maltreatment that's going on. It's not just the sexual abuse. It's the fact that that's a dysfunctional, traumatized relationship, and will absolutely affect how we um, see our place in the world. Um, I personally, I'm happy to, I'm happy to say that I personally had. Sexual abuse already going on. So when I went into the sport world and realised I was good at something and, and receiving affirmation, I seemed to slip quite easily into thinking that was the norm. You know, the area that I was seeking affirmation from was actually replicating what what in many ways I was escaping from. There's a huge power, trust, and one to one closeness within the world of sport. And mm. sadly, I feel that um what we're seeing at the moment is a winner all cost culture as money and professional sports came into play um sport has lost its social responsibility mm. and lost its way and so again it's it's just a huge huge domain but ian picking up on what you said you know, I really do believe in my own experience and people that I sit in front of. Grooming occurs because inside we are told and given injunctions and drivers and messages as children to not be seen, not be heard, don't feel. That's a prime, prime space for any perpetrator to operate within. Um,
1: and actually, let's go on to Ian then, because Ian has, uh, and it is in the public domain, um, Ian uh, is now 53 um, and had an excellent. He was you were an excellent schoolboy player um, who really wanted to go into football. You attracted interest from Manchester United, Aston Villa, Sheffield United. Um, but your case was one of the biggest, one of the you know, one of the bigger cases out there where you were abused um, by the former scout Barry Bennell. So, you know, as a young boy, Ian to go and play football, to get out there, to be, you know, to be the next, I don't know who the who the most brilliant football player is because I'm not a huge football player. I don't know, the next David Beckham. You know, you'd have done anything that you could have done with that passion. So, you know as you've kind of gone from a young boy obviously now to an adult and there's that gap in between what can you share what can you share from that experience from a young boy to an adult for anyone listening today who's feeling stuck and wanting to be sports and and is feeling like already feeling under pressure or maybe they've already been green what could you share that could help someone right now?
4: Well, I think, you know, for me, the one thing and one of the reasons I do this job now is because I look around and think, well, I could have done with an Ian. I could have done with somebody, a trusted adult to go to that could possibly help and support me. And I would say that sitting in a silo in silence, keeping it to yourself is one of the most destructive, self-destructive things that, that, that can happen to you both. Uh, with regards to how you view the world and internally with your emotions. And I would encourage people and young people to try and seek a, a trusted adult if they can and and to have what would be a difficult conversation. W- with Greenman you've got to remember as well, you know, that, that whole process is normalising unusual, unnormal behaviour, to the point where we just accept that that is standard. That's what happens, right? So we don't question it. That's one of the reasons we don't say anything, because grooming makes us complicit. So (coughs) the difficulty, excuse me, with young people, and, and encouraging them to say something, is that they don't think there's anything to talk about, because during the grooming process, they don't see there being an issue. You know, we often hear about Young people still having an an emotional affection or even love for for the perpetrator or their abuser. These are natural, normal uh, uh, responses, you know. I know that my abuser kept me away from every social gathering. He kept me away from having girlfriends, friends. I gave up music lessons. I wasn't allowed to go out to any social events. And whilst I was growing up through adolescence and this gap from childhood to adulthood that we're talking about, I experienced a lack of emotional development and that emotion, lack of emotional resilience stunted me, my emotional growth uh, and contributed to my lack of understanding of what was happening to me. And so, again, I think conversations in all areas, I would say we have some great support services now in, in the education um, service you know they used to be placed in social services now that pastoral care has moved to the education framework try and find a trusted adult there If you've got an existing youth service or a friend or an adult or that you can trust try and have these conversations um the earlier we can do that I think the better and the the healthier for the individual and the healthier for the whole general conversation it isn't easy and, and, and there are lots of complex emotions that someone can associate with that but generally speaking I would say reach out that's a far better thing to do than to sit in silence
1: okay Sophie Chris I'm going to come to both of you now so if you can unmute yourself so uh, something that Denny said at the beginning is um, I've kind of devised my three A's here because uh, Denny was saying you know sport is addictive it can be addictive Um, she said you know when we're young people it's kind of can bring affirmations for us Um, And then something that Ian just touched on there was find a trusted adult, you know, and so, you know, is there maybe, and I'm just thinking out loud here, uh, is there maybe uh, some guidelines that we better guidelines that we can give for children in sport? wherever that sport is whether you go on uh to be professional or non-professional that can really support and guide people and help them to understand because you know from the addictive side um I get that I I I I I do a lot of sport myself I was a a professional dancer I know how it um how it makes you feel um when you are exercising and and uh, the affirmation I know that I needed but then you know I, I as, a, as a young person I was already being abused by then as well and then Ian touched on tr- finding a trusted adult I had no clue who to trust um so Sophie Chris you know I'm going to let you two take take the stage for a bit here finding a way that we can maybe maybe there's I don't know how you would do this maybe there's a pamphlet, you know maybe we need to have some better guidance in sport to help children understand that you know yes you know it can be it can be good it's very rewarding can be addictive you know maybe you're looking for affirmations you hadn't realized and there are some adults around this is how we look to trust I I think it's a great big conversation I don't know how you would uh, word who to trust um, to children because you know the people I trusted treat me really badly (laughs) so you know how do you kind of move that forward Sophie? Yeah I think there's some
2: really key points to be drawn out of that discussion first of all you know if you find a, trust, a trusted adult or a trusted person are they going to know what to do with the information and quite often we find that you know disclosures are made to somebody in um, in a position to do something but they don't know what to do so they might minimize the behavior they might catastrophize the behavior you know so so there's so there's that kind of response training for the adults in that position that needs to come first and foremost. Um, And I think, you know, the work that that Ian's doing is absolutely amazing, Um, but you find that work like that in uh, child sexual abuse, uh, in this kind of silo working is really sporadic. We need that big kind of joined up national approach and a national push for this to get the adults the adequate training, to get those people in post that are the advocates and kind of name it for what it is, you know, name those roles for what they are. Um, you know, it, it's a really important point that you made, Emma-Jane, you know, the people you trust or you see to, that you trust may be the ones that are grooming you. So it's got to be out there. It's got to be really transparent by the sporting bodies, by schools, you know, by the government. These are the advocates that you go to. Here's how you contact them. And, you know, we've got to speak the language of young people as well. Saying pick up the phone probably isn't the best way forward, but you've got things like instant chat. Um, over social media so we've got to really these approaches have got to be co-designed with young people as well you know this can't be again imposed upon them we need to listen to what they're saying as to how the best way for them to contact people that they get support from as well
1: and you know over you know with my work as in this space as well we talk about trusted adults, trusted teachers and so on and so forth obviously we saw in the news last week um, Emma Wright teacher. Um, has been banned for asking her class to pose naked for an art project. Now, that's a teacher in school we should be trusting. And it think- becomes, and you know, and I recently uh, did a uh, write an article on a teacher who um, was involved in a really severe child abuse case. You know, I totally. We can't think everybody's an abuser. We can't think everybody's a bad person, but we also need to know. Um, or we need to help children understand who they can talk to, but also understand their own boundaries.
2: Yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And I think we've got to be careful of using the word trust as well. Yes. Because quite often people who are abusers will say that you can trust me, you know. That, and, and so we've got to be really clear to children and young people, you know, who they can go to and make that really, really apparent and transparent Um, Yeah.
1: And, and, you know, and I think, and I say this a lot, you know, we don't want anyone to, you know, I did my TED talk uh, and in my TED talk, I talked about this. We don't want children to not trust. We don't want children not to love. We don't want children not to see the crisp packet. We don't want to give them the fear. And Chris, you can come in if you can come in on this conversation as well. We don't want to scare children, but we want to arm them. I mean, you know, and when we talk about the sporting environment, and I know Chris is in this in the wellbeing industry as well, it's such it, again. It, it, you know, it's a layered conversation, isn't it? I, you know, how how best do you think, Chris, that
5: we can push this conversation forward for young people? So I just want to take it back one step. Um, I think the institutions, all institutions, they need to acknowledge that child sexual abuse actually happens. It exists. And then the culture of those institutions are there to say, yes, it exists. Here are our clear policies and procedures. There is our designated person and that designated person will be overseen so that they are not in a position where they um, misappropriate their position of trust. So I think there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done clear and transparently so that children then and parents can understand that yes because there's a dilemma isn't there with that trusted person we want you to trust these people but at the end of the day those people that do abuse abuse use and abuse their trust mm. um so it's like having those open lines of communication as well where everyone is clear about what the processes are, what the procedures are, who that trusted person is, and that person is overseen so that they don't misuse their tr- their, um, their position of trust. Yeah. Um, and children then can quite clearly and openly and honestly go, right, okay, this is happening to me, if they are aware of what's happening to them, and then they know where to go. And everyone around them knows what... The pathway is for disclosures and for getting that young person the help and support that they need if abuse has occurred yeah and I think you know uh, you know with, uh, staying
1: with the sports Ian you know talking about all of this conversation and taking it forward uh, what Chris was just saying really kind of resonated with me sporting environments understanding and recognizing that this does happen Ian um, and not you know A bit like the political world right there's a lot of people putting um pushing a lot of things down and actually let's pull this up let's recognize it goes on in because once we can start doing that we can lift the lid on these conversations and then we're talking about the sporting world it can then help the forwarding conversations
4: uh, absolutely. Um, I do think that they are starting to recognize and, uh, and accept that, that, that this is happening. For example, <coughs> excuse me, my clients, I have over 100 clients, just reached over 100 clients. So I've been practicing for about two and a half years delivering this service. My eldest client is 72. My youngest client is 14, who successfully prosecuted only earlier this year. So it absolutely is relevant today as it was. 30 years ago, the same process is happening, the same exposure to the same grooming and patterns of behaviour are still there. I don't think it isn't acknowledged. I do think it is. We will always have human error and within that there will always be faults and we can always strive to do more to close the gaps. Because where there are are vulnerable people or children, there will be those of an unhealthy appetite or attraction towards those people and we need to prevent those people from getting access. But I do think that it is important that we look at this in balance uh, and proportionately. Thankfully, abuse is a small proportion of society, not the majority. And it's important, I think, that we, we, we give that balanced view. Most adults, we talk about the complexity of who can be trusted. Now, I have to accept that I have trust issues, but that's because of my experience. Most adults can be trusted most adults intentions are good if you say to somebody would you like to promote place the rights of a child before those of your own in order to maximize that person's or that child's health potential and well-being i think most conscientious adults will say yes well actually that is the uk definition of safeguarding Mm. what people generally don't have is the confidence to safeguard in a way which can mean as the adults they become become those trusted people that know how to report it and I have to agree with what's been said early by panel members it's the knowledge and confidence to know how to report and raise concerns and the recording of those small things that can build the patterns up I'm Mm. a very big believer in evidence-based practice and reflective practice and taking a trauma-informed approach in other words not look at the behaviour, but try and think about what it is that makes that person present with that behaviour. What is the cause and not the effect? And therefore, look at this in a a truly holistic way. And I do think that the the, the conversations that we're having are really, really important that we, we, we think about. Untrusted adults will not be, as we said, they won't act transparently, like Chris said. They won't follow policies and procedures. And so there are flags and warnings within sport that we can utilize and then we can take advantage of to further protect children who are basically engaging in an activity because they want to enjoy it. And as responsible adults, I think we can all take a small part in trying to ensure that we do a little bit to making that a safer space for kids.
1: Thank you, Ian. Well, look. If you've just tuned in, you're very late, uh, but I will forgive you because Michael po- Michael's poem is coming up next. And we'll be doing a summary with Denny and uh, just hearing a little bit more for, with, from my panel before we finish today's show. So don't go anywhere. I'll see you back here shortly.
0: You're listening to Yawa Radio and we love to bring you details of the inspirational book of the week. This week's inspirational book of the week is the international number one bestseller at Follow Your Heart, Finding Purpose in Your Life and Work. It's written and illustrated by Andrew Matthews, who is the author of the million-seller, Being Happy. Follow your heart? Well, your mission in life is not to be without problems. Your mission is to get excited. Whoever you are, you aren't stuck. You are a human being, not a tree. That's what Alan says. This book is about doing what you love, dealing with bills and broken legs, discovering your own power, finding peace of mind, dealing with disasters, not blaming your mother. It's about how happy people think, why rich people make money, even by accident, what losers do, and how not to be like them. Andrew Matthews' books including Being Happy... Making Friends and Happiness in a Nutshell have sold over 2 million copies in 21 languages in 60 countries. So, there you go. This week's inspirational book is Follow Your Heart, Finding Purpose in Your Life and Work written and illustrated by Andrew Matthews author of The Million Seller, Being Happy and I must say, this read, you could read it in an evening. It's a book that you just can't put down. So once again, follow your heart, finding purpose in your life and work. Written and illustrated by Andrew Matthews is this week's inspirational book of the week. This This is Yahweh Radio.
1: Okay, Welcome back to the show. Michael, what a show today. I mean, you know, it's, there is so many lateral conversations attached to everything that we are talking about today and I think we could probably I'm already thinking about 14 other shows that we could do um, from today um which I hope Sophie and Ian come back and join us with at some point but you know as an ally Michael you're listening to this what are you thinking now before we introduce you to your poem
6: um I I can't help but keep going back to sport and then I go back to myself as a child and uh, from a a home that I was keen to get out of as quick as I could. One of the avenues to do that was to go and play sport and I loved it. And for me as a boy, um, and, and and I don't know, I can't comment on things, it was my direction to go and play sport but that makes you incredibly exposed. But it also highlights as well, as something that's become quite political at the moment with what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, which, I, which isn't a digression, that sport has, a, and sport in a huge terms, has a massive responsibility. As a child, I want to chase that football. Uh, I just see the football. That's the thing that excites me and gives me a purpose and a direction. So the responsibility of what we do with that is enormous. Now, my sporting days are over in that respect, but I am an an observer now. I stand, and as my poem today, I stand on the sideline. But that's almost encouraged me to become the ally I am to what's happening um, across so many fields. But today, sport has really honed that in on me, that um, it's something that absorbs me, I'm passionate about it, and yet, of course, it offers so many dangers as well. But my poem. It's called The Sideline. I may stand on the sideline, perhaps not in the game. It doesn't mean I can't support you, even if it's not the same. Understanding the rules of life, how things are meant to be, but not recognising when things aren't right. Blinkered eyes too blind to see. Fairness isn't even the point because life sadly isn't fair but common decency is need need here, and trust me, I really care. So if I need to blow the whistle, I'll blow with all my might, and not just on the halfway line, but front and center where it's right. I may be just a supporter with your colors on my chest. I'm more than that, I'll stand by you, help you make it through this test. Now, how can I help?
1: Oh always lovely your poems are always so powerful and thank you for sharing them because i know you know i know they take a lot of emotion as well to write so thank you for sharing that you know and obviously very much about sport which is what today has been about uh
6: they the... Um, bizarrely, they're not difficult to come out. They just come out because once you're in the subject and thinking about it, you just refer back to how it matters to you. And mm. I've stood on the sideline with uh, supporting, supporting my teams, supporting my children, supporting friends, and I will continue to do it. Um, and that's not just in sport, but in everything.
1: Thank you. Well, look, I'm going to go to Denny now. Um uh my producers probably thinking your shows get longer and longer and longer ej but uh denny you're going to do a round off now for me of today's show and then i'm going to um just come back to the panel for one word and i'm going to share their twitter handles and then we will be off until the next time denny
3: okay thanks thanks everyone um i've sat here what a great conversation but also what a very complex conversation there's no clear-cut answers but Sport, Michael, you touched on it, is often an escape and child sexual abuse within sport then turns that escape and affirmation into a demon. It's life-changing, has life-changing impacts. And I think for me, we are talking about young people who have experienced trauma, abuse, which will absolutely impact on how they see A trusting relationship and I think that was a really important part of the conversation we're almost expecting a young person to trust to disclose and come forward when they're actually going to find that far far more difficult Um, I think I would like to see I'm I'm a member of many sporting clubs I would like to see not just the policies in place but open conversations at AGMs raising awareness with parents parents hand their children over readily to coaches in situations where they're traveling in cars with them they're they're staying away and i think we need to bring the conversation far more into a daily conversation within clubs where welfare officers stand up do presentations and raise awareness within the whole of the sporting environment from grassroots all the way through so um I think Ian, I think Sophie, thank you. I've learned an awful lot. I think we've got a long way to go, but I think stories are, stories are out there. We're actually beginning to hear many um, survivors' voices and with that, we can
1: affect change. Thank you, Denny. You know, and I, uh, and I think, you know, there's a lot that I've taken from today, as I always do. Um, for me, what Ian said, uh, you know, about listening to children, but then, you know, I think it's really let children see the world. In the colour that it is, not just through technology all the time. Let children be. Let's listen to children. Let's let children be children. And I say it a thousand times. Um, and those those things are really important to me. That okay. So before we go off air, we can get Ian on Twitter. Ian Ackley. A C K L E Y. You can find Sophie. Doctor Sophie K H. You can find Denny at Denny, D-E-N-I Corb, C-O-R-B. Michael Borton at Mike J.W. Borton. Chris is Chris Tuck underscore W-W-H-F. And, of course, you can find me, Emma uh, EJ, the mentor, on Twitter. Look, my panel have been marvellous today. I think, can we just go round really quickly? My one word is balanced. Be balanced. Let's go
5: for you. Mike, what's your one word? Listen. Chris, a phrase, be an upstander, not a bystander. Sophie,
2: collaboration, Ian, transparency,
1: nice, Denny.
3: Well, Ian, you stole my word.
1: <laughs> so I am actually going to say the same. It's transparency. Yeah. Transparency. Look, guys, it's been great having you with me today. Thank you for everybody uh, for, to be here today, to Denny. Corby my new resident uh, therapist to Mike my resident poet to Chris Tuck my resident child sex abuse activist to my panellists Dr Sophie King and Ian Ackley. It's been a huge show I think we could have gone on for hours and hours and hours if you are affected by anything in today's show then please do get in touch with us on Twitter and of course um you know, everybody's welcome to come on to talk with us about this subject because it's about moving it forward. I want to give a big shout out to my production team, to Steve, to Chris, and to everybody who works really hard with me behind the scenes to get these conversations out here. Stay strong and I'll see you next time. Thank you.
0: A big thank you for taking the time out to listen to this podcast from the team at Yawa Radio. Remember to check us out live online 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at yawaradio.co.uk And if you'd like to join us as a guest on Yawa Radio or as a guest on the Yawa Radio podcast, we would love to hear from you. Simply email studio at yawaradio.co.uk Once again, a big thank you for taking the time out to listen. This is the Yawa Radio podcast copyright applies
5: with inspirational guests from around the world inspirational quotes the inspirational book of the week the meditation hour the quiet zone and feel-good music yawa radio is about well-being happiness and finding the beauty within enjoy be beautiful be happy be inspired. This is Yawa Radio.